0: Welcome, everybody, to the Word on the Hill.
1: We are the Lanky Guys. I'm Scott Powell,
0: and I am Father Peter Musset.
1: We come to you from Boulder, Colorado, just named the number one most unhappy place to work. By Forbes magazine
0: That's why this whole podcast is going to be brought to you by the letter D for depression
1: You know, and I'm having a good time I like my work
0: I actually really like my work, too It's to the depths To the depths Kind of like Jesus in this week's moment of the scriptures
1: Kind of Oh, you mean physically? Yeah, yeah, to the depths Yeah, literally It's
0: it's like the Jordan, man
1: Yeah, not spiritually No, no, dude it's, It's good
0: I like that. It's it's altum, altum, altum to the deep, end of the heights.
1: Oh, to the heights. That's that's
0: Pier Giorgio Frasati, right? Altum is to the deep end of the heights. It's, it's the, the same thing. It's the same word in Latin. I don't understand Latin. Latin. I don't either, I don't man. Think
1: Latin's what? Ununderstandable. Understandable. It's, it, it's <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: that's <laughs> dangerous. because you're a Roman Catholic man. This is yeah, you, you know that there's only one official. Translation of the scriptures. Yes, I know. Yeah, into that. There's some sort of scripture scholar right now. No, Latin's is,
1: great. Latin's awesome. If I understood it, I would love it.
0: Yeah, me too. Actually, you know, you know what the you know what my problem with Latin is? No, there's no prepositions.
1: There's no prepositions in Latin.
0: No, and that and, doesn't make sense. And technically, there's no spaces between words either.
1: Well, that's the case with Greek. With Greek as well. Greek, Greek. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> all those people who are in Greek high school, you guys have no spaces between creek. you.
1: We used to hate Creek. I was, I was in their, one of their rival schools. You probably were too. Yeah, everybody should hate Creek. Just well, cause... they had a, a freaking stadium with AstroTurf. <laughs> what high school? <laughs> a stadium with AstroTurf. All you Creek people. I, uh, Who do you think you are?
0: I know somebody who's the jewelry teacher at Creek, and they, she's pretty awesome. She's they have a jewelry awesome. teacher. Yeah. Which, uh, which That's pretty cool. They should have woodworking,
1: jewelry, electronics. You know what I had in high school? What'd you do? My first class of the day, my senior year, was fly tying. No. That was awesome. Best class I took in high school. <laughs> Dude, that's epic. Yeah, fly tying. Did you? Amazing. Did you have like tests and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had to produce your flies. <laughs> Got to do my woolly bugger and Man. everything else.
0: That's do, great. Do you still fly fish?
1: No, not so much. Well, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Not as much as I'd like to. Can't wait we have fly fishing for the kiddos. So by the time that everyone's listening to this, Christmas is officially over.
0: How Ac- sad. According to the new calendar.
1: Well, how long? Oh, that's right. In the old calendar, it went to February or something, didn't it?
0: Yeah, like February 22nd or yeah, something crazy. Yeah, really long. Yeah. And and so actually, I leave, I leave my, my Christmas tree up according to the old calendar, even though... The
1: dead and brown and
0: it's an artificial tree. Oh, man <laughs> I think that, I think that people should start planting trees in their house, like just you know I think you that. Go with that. that uh, you know there's actually only one person I know who literally has a tree planted in the middle of their house, and it is um, inside Father Greg Ames' father. It's up here in Boulder, and he is an architect, and they built their whole house around a tree that was in the ground. That's awesome. And it has this thing. That's awesome. And there's like this me- mechanism so that as the tree sways, that it, it's still waterproof so that it can rain. It's, it's really very ingenuitive. Is that it's a word? Ingenious?
1: I think it's just ingenious.
0: Ingen- mm. So is the
1: tree in the house or is it like a courtyard outside? No, no. It's
0: like, it's like inside the house. The whole it's, thing? The whole. The, well, no. I mean the top of the tree is outside the house because it's, it's like it's a real tree. So how is it? All right. That's cool.
1: I guess I guess I'd have to see it
0: to understand. Yeah, you can cut that out of the podcast.
1: No, it's cool. That's that's okay.
0: We're always always, we talk a lot, so you actually don't know how much we've actually cut up from this this podcast. You have no idea. Somebody came up to me and they said, "You know, uh, Father, your podcast gets longer every (laughs) week." Did they say that?
1: Yeah, they did. (laughs) It's It's getting harder to edit every week.
0: Yeah, it's because there's just too much good stuff. So eventually, or
1: there's not enough pauses. Usually a big problem. Oh, you're pausing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's 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 the issue. Well, so Scott, you were telling me um, right as we were setting up for the podcast today that there's some sort of crazy thing that got added in 1998 about about the year C options for the readings for this
1: uh, feast. And the way it works is that uh, originally for All the cycle years A, B, and C. There's just one standard set of readings. That's the first one, and then in 1998, I guess the uh, the bishops added a special set of readings just for year C, which is what we're in now. And the readings that they added for year C in 98 are actually really really cool. So those are the second options in all the lectionaries. So that's what we're going to be talking about today.
0: Yeah, we're going, we're going uh, B-team <coughs> style here because... Uh, or C-team. C-team. <laughs> uh, <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah, oh, man, I bamboozled. I know. Okay, so the, so the first reading is going to be Isaiah 40. Yeah. And then the second reading is which, which one we're
1: doing? Coming from Titus chapters 2 and 3. And then, of course, um, the, the psalm... Are, are we going to deal with the psalm today? Yeah, I'd love to say a little bit about the psalm. We don't talk about the psalm enough. And uh, the psalm is sweet this week. It's really cool. I I had to do a little bit of digging, but I found some cool stuff. Psalm 104.
0: And then, of course, we're going to be dealing with Luke chapter 3. Luke! Because what, what? He's a physician. He's a physician. He's an iconographer. That's right. A general gospel writer. I mean, like, when I meet Luke in heaven, I'm really looking forward to being like, dude, you were the first Renaissance man way before the Renaissance happened. He was a cool guy.
1: He was the only non-Jew to write a book in the New Testament. The only one.
0: Oh. Yeah. So
1: I so think he was that, Gentile. I'm, the Gentile position.
0: Is that where we get the term gentile men? Oh, That one's really ugly. I don't, I don't even have anything to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's, oh. do, let's jump in. Let's jump right, in. let's jump in. Because it's a feast, the baptism of the Lord.
1: Baptism! So, <laughs> <laughs> so they're all connected. But they're, oh, they're cool. So... A little bit on Isaiah 40. I love Isaiah. I think Isaiah is great. So Isaiah sometimes has been called by some of the fathers of the church and the saints and stuff. They call it the fifth gospel. Have you ever heard that?
0: No, but it makes sense. I, I was
1: Because I was talking to somebody the other day, and I was like, man, this guy saw everything. Everything. It's sweet, because it, it and it's got more references to Jesus or who... Jesus would be, you know, precursors to Jesus than any other book of the, of the Old Testament. And the church teaches that everything in the Old Testament ultimately points to the new. It has a
0: Christological but, sense yeah, that, that everything is going to be,
1: everything is pointing towards Christ. But Isaiah is so stinking explicit about it, about what's going on here. It's kind of incredible. Yeah. But we get it. So a quick, quick crash course, real quick on Isaiah. So Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah split into two major parts. And we, we talked about this a few weeks ago with, with Jeremiah. It's kind of similar. It's There's some parallels to them. But Isaiah is split into the good news and the bad news. And so all the chapters 1 through 39 are called the book of, um, it's the book of judgment, or the book of woe.
0: Or, the, or but, also known as the book of hard times. Hard
1: times. <laughs> but basically you've sinned, you've done these terrible things, there's going to be punishment. Yeah. You're going to get punished, Jerusalem's going to get leveled, it's going to be destroyed, you're going to be exiled, all this stuff. But then chapter 40 through 66 is what's called the book of consolation or the book of comfort. And it's called the book of comfort because the first words out of Isaiah chapter 40 are comfort, comfort my people that your suffering has now come to an end, all these things. So it's saying after you deal with the punishment, there's going to be consolation. God always punishes only for the sake of restoration. People get kind of flipped out in the Old Testament, why has God so mean, why is He always ticked off? Well, it's only for the sake of, of rebuilding. So, Which which is going to be at the heart of the baptism of the Lord. Exactly. That's And that's what Isaiah 40 is all looking forward to. It's not happening yet. By the time that they're reading this, they're still in the dumps. They're still being punished. But it's pointing to this time where God is going to set everything back right. And not even that He's not just going to set things back the way they're supposed to be. He's going to do something incredible and something new. Which is what we're looking forward to. That's it, man.
0: And so when we get to the, the 40, we're actually, we, we are, Isaiah is already seeing, I mean, he's seeing John the Baptist. He's seeing oh, the totally. voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. I wonder, I mean, like, I wonder sometimes, like... Did he receive this as a word? Did he see it as a vision? What, like Isaiah? Yeah, how did this guy I mean like what kind of spirit what kind of spiritual life did Isaiah have to be able to have such a clear view of the truth of, the, of eternity? because he's, he's witnessing eternal moments. Yeah. And, uh, and so that, that's where I mean like he is in the desert. he sees what's about to happen.
1: I mean, you know what's kind of cool about Isaiah? There's this passage really early on in Isaiah. It's Isaiah six, is that right? And there's this scene. So in yes. the beginning of the book, right before he's about to give all the bad news, there's that great scene, right, where he's caught up. It says he's caught up in a vision, and he he's finds himself in the throne room of God. So he's so he's seeing. So I don't know how all this stuff got conveyed to him, but at least at one point he's actually looking at God face to face he's in the throne and it's that scene where he's like oh my gosh I shouldn't be here I'm not worthy and so the angel mm-hmm. comes and takes that burning coal and touches to it by the way I always, I always love to point this out so the, remember that scene so he's up in the throne room of God Yeah. he says I shouldn't be here I'm a. he says I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips and so he says we're dirty we're a dirty people and I, I also love that Isaiah's whole point of view, Isaiah is one of the holiest guys of his time. Maybe the, yeah. he's the one that God chose to do this stuff. Yes. But he associates himself with his people. And there's something kind of beautiful about that because he's holy. He, he could be like, you know what? All these other people, they're all, they're all screwed. They're, they're trash. <laughs> they're awful. But I'm, I alone, you know, I'm the holy one. But here he is in the throne room of God. He's like, no, no, I'm not worthy to be here. Why? Because I'm in the midst of a people who are unclean. My family is struggling with this sin. So if they're struggling, then I'm with them, unfortunately. And that's kind of beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's it's
0: actually, again, even that spirit points towards Christ. Who, oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Who we're called Christians. He identifies himself with us yeah, totally. in, uh, on a f- crazy and fundamental level. So as we're seeing, what is Christ going to do but enter into that? Totally.
1: Well, and check this out. So there he is in the throne room. He says, I'm, I have unclean lips. So What happens? Well, the seraphim, by the way, the word seraphim in Hebrew yeah. means literally the burning ones. So the ones that are on fire. And so it's believed that the seraphim are the ones that are closest to God, to God's consuming fire love. So they're, they're actually on fire. So here's this angel that's on fire. It's going to go get a burning coal, Yeah, but he has to use tongs to pick it up. And I was laugh at that. Why does, why does the angel that's on fire have to use tongs to get the coal out of the barbecue? I don't know, but he does. He gets this coal out of the barbecue grill. He brings it over Isaiah, and he, t- and he touches it to his lips. And then all of a sudden he says, you're cleansed. I'm, it's done. But what I love about that, so again, from the very beginning of this book, right before he's going to give the bad news, here's this guy who says, no, this is my problem. This is our sin. So he goes, I mean, having a burning hot coal touched to your lips would probably Messy
0: Messy up pretty bad. It would.
1: So he has to go through suffering in order to be cleansed of his and his people's sin. It's this little, really small glimpse into, again, like you said, what Jesus is ultimately going to do. This tiny little suffering. Well, it's not probably tiny for him, but this suffering that's going to lead to redemption. And all of a sudden, then then he's worthy to be in the throne of God.
0: I think it's funny that, uh, I, I mean, I, I really am just bringing up the baptism of the Lord consistently because... That's why you keep talking about other stuff. No, no, it's, no, I'm just kidding. It's like to go right to the heart of this because it's so rich mm. that I see Jesus going down into the river because water touches all things. Yeah. Water is the essence of life. It goes from the heavens down to the earth, and yeah. those things that are not touched by water are dead. lifeless. Yeah, they're dead. And so Jesus going into the depths of the water, flowing into the deepest of the earth. He is in essence touching the entirety of life, and and by that water which has been ex- experienced, all things he's taking up all the entire suffering of life in the world, and he he's he's actually t- t-
1: taking on the suffering. Yeah, that, which is awesome. He's the sponge. But check it out. What you said. What you just said is that whatever. Whatever doesn't have water touch it is dead. It's lifeless, right? So in the beginning of this reading from Isaiah, and then Mm -hmm. again in the Luke's gospel, talking about John the Baptist, where are we geographically? We're in the desert. We're in the wilderness. We're in the place where it's dry, where we're parched. And that's where they're waiting and crying out and saying, when's he going to come? Because there's no water. It's dead. There's death. Uh And I just think it's interesting having heard you said that. That's, yes. where, that's where the setting is this week. Before the baptism, they're in the wilderness where it's dry as yeah. they're waiting out. That's and, really
0: cool. And they're crying out
1: yeah, in yeah. the place of dryness.
0: Yeah, exactly. The one, the voice
1: crying out in the wilderness makes straight the path of the Lord. Oh, yeah, totally. So it's cool. There's a great quote from, uh, his name is St. Maximus of Turin. And he talked about that question, of why did Jesus have to be baptized, you know? he doesn't need to be cleansed of the water and it goes to exactly what you were just saying and i'll i'll just read it cuz i'm not going to i'll i'll blow it if i try to paraphrase it but he said the lord jesus came to baptism and he willed to have his holy body washed with water and so somebody could say why who is he, why is he who is holy why does he want to be baptized listen then christ is baptized not so that he may be sanctified in the waters but that he may himself sanctify the waters and purify by his own purification the streams he touches for when the Savior is washed, then all water is cleansed for our baptism, oh. and all water is purified. Oh. So Jesus doesn't go into the water so that the water can purify him. He goes into the water so that water then, in its very essence, changes by its nature, and it becomes something fitting to purify us. Yeah. And then it can reach all those dry It is the places. best
0: Brita filter ever made. Best Brita filter. It's the spiritual bread of Okay. Now that's, I know. So
1: profound. Anyway. <laughs> and then I got to go. So profane.
0: It's So profane. No, well, and that's why when we're, <laughs> when we're living in Isaiah 40 and we're pointing towards the baptism, we're living in this boundary zone from punishment
1: into yeah. life. Yeah. This is right in the middle. and And that's perfect though, because that's what's happening in the book, isn't it? Isaiah 1 through 39 is all about punishment. Isaiah 40 through 66 is all about restoration. So we're smack in the middle. We're right in the middle. We're right in the desert as we're waiting. We're looking back one way and then we're looking forward to another way. So that's a, that's a really cool way to look at it, which is kind of true liturgically, isn't it? We just finished Christmas. Yep. So we're on the on the border of that. Now we're looking ahead to ordinary time. No, but we're looking ordinary ahead to ordinary
0: time. This podcast brought to you by the Letter D from <laughs> from, from all the workforce in Boulder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, for I, ordinary. We're going to just work because it's a terrible number one
1: bad. <laughs> well, it's all Boulder's also been voted like one of the number one places to live. So maybe it's just people are sick of working and they want to go play <laughs> and hang out in the mountains. Which, may, that makes sense to me. That makes <laughs> a lot of they're sense They're sitting in their office me. looking at the mountains. And they're going like, I want to... eat working. <laughs> I want to get out <laughs> and like That's why nobody... I don't think anybody works in Boulder. I don't if either. If you would go to the to coffee shops during the day in Boulder... That's where everybody is
0: This morning This morning alone <laughs> I went jokes. to go work On the newsletter For this uh, Catholic center here And I went to Ozo Coffee Oh I which like Ozo is, Ozo's got some great coffee I got, a, I got a gift certificate Nice L- Literally Not a single seat available That's
1: crazy What I time asked, was it?
0: It was 10 a.m. <laughs>
1: 10 a.m. 10 a.m. 10 a.m. on a Thursday.
0: So then so then we're like oh you know what we'll we'll go down to Trident which is like that like you have to read Hemingway and uh and and be very dramatic and literary if you're gonna go there so we go there and the only place that was available was next to the fireplace because the fireplace was so (laughs) So hot hot. that you like they had a real fire going because this is awesome it's Trident and so we 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 purchased ourselves there and and, uh, and then we saw somebody else, and then we had a discussion about a, a parishioner. I saw him on the street as we were going back to our car. And, they're not working either. They're, and they're not working out. either. And they're like, so we had yeah. uh, uh, literally a conversation about how busy and the, the intellectual character and like sociological character of each of the coffee houses. But nobody works. I mean, literally. And Ozo's huge. Yeah, it Titan's is. end isn't that big,
1: but it's packed. Well, that, then this all makes sense. We like our coffee shops. We like hanging outside, but we don't want to go back to our offices. Truth. All right, Well, we solved that. Good,
0: but now we have to solve the fact that we are in the wilderness wild and we wild. got directions. Which it's funny when I because we're, we're at the. Oh, hold on, we've got we've got a second reading.
1: We got so much. We've stuff got a song. To deal with. This
0: is gonna be long today.
1: So this reading, uh, <laughs> 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 this reading is great. So let's let's, let's actually just read it. Um, so we this is the second part of it. Says so a voice cries out. In the desert, where we are, prepare the way of the Lord; make straight in the wasteland a highway for our God. Every valley shall be filled in; every mountain and hill shall be made low; the rugged shall be made a plain; the rough country a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all the people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Um, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. There was a similar reading, because this reading—I I like this reading—because it's all about highway construction, right? Total. When do you bring mountains down, when do you level out valleys, when do you do this stuff? It's literally making a highway. And I was reading a commentary, I think it was this morning or last night, that was saying, but, you know, it's not a it's not a physical highway. It's just a spiritual highway of our hearts <laughs> where the Lord will travel. And I thought, baloney, that's BS. B- because it's, yes, of course, the Lord is preparing his way in our hearts. And of course he's doing these things and he wants to save our souls. Da-da-da-da-da. But there's also a real, literal, physical, tangible path that the Lord is going to travel. So if you want to know where to find him, according to the Old Testament, look to the desert, look to the wilderness, and there's going to be a voice crying out. And if you look to the gospel, there in the desert is a voice crying out, John the Baptist saying, prepare the way of the Lord. This is a physical place. So if you want to know where to find him, you know where to look. So if you look to the wilderness, you hear the voice, there's Jesus. He's going to show up today to be baptized, but then he's going to travel on a path. He's going to make a route physically going through the towns, through the Northern Territory, ending the exile, healing the deaf, healing the lepers and the, the, the lame and everything else. And that path is going to end in the city of Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. But it's literal. I mean, he actually is traveling. He didn't just show up and start floating around on the clouds and, you know, <laughs> snap his finger and zap your heel. Zap your... He actually went and he walked and he used his feet and he traveled, and I think it's significant that God himself did that. Hmm. He didn't just, you know, appear in a cloud to everybody and do something. I mean, he was real. He was physical. There's something about getting dirt on your shoes as you go out to proclaim the gospel, you know? Yes. How beautiful are the feet of him who bring good tidings.
0: Which which a, a man from the parish, he uh, said, Hey, are you going to be around in the rectory the other, uh, you know, before, right the, the day of Christmas, or the yeah. day before Christmas, Christmas Eve? And he came and and he showed up at the door. And he said, "I have a gift to give you." And he uh, came and he polished Father John and I's shoes because blessed are the feet of those who carry the gospel. Wow. He just he said, "Go do what you are going to do. I'm just going to sit in the living room." And he polished her shoes. And he, I, wow. was, I know That's I was, really cool. which is like again that thing. It's like it's real.
1: That's cool though because I mean nobody you know on their deathbed nobody wants a phone call from a priest. They want you to show up. You yeah. Know, they want, which is just which is a no brainer, but. I don't know. I get I get kind of down on the over-spiritualization of things. Yes. I and mean, the spiritual life is profound. That's where we should be. But we should also be in the physical life. And we should actually be physically meeting this guy. It was good, beautiful that he polished your shoes so that you could physically do these things. Yes. So I was just bummed out by that commentary, which I it was one I usually really, really love. And he's like, but it's not literal. It's only a spiritual thing. <laughs> baloney. That's
0: so what And the see. desert's
1: real. So Isaiah's cool. Isaiah's really cool. Oh, but this is also where we get the roots of the term the gospel. So he says in the the tail end of the reading, Go up on a high mountain, Zion, herald of glad tidings. Um, Cry out at the top of your voice, Jerusalem, herald of good news. All of those terms, if you translate good news, glad tidings into Greek, it's the word euangelion, which is what we translate to gospel. So the word gospel literally just means good news. Caesar claimed a gospel. He said, hey, when Caesar was born, this is the gospel message. It was the Evangelion. Mm. And now this, this term is changing. It was actually a political term by Jesus' time. Mm. And Caesar had little plaques written on different parts of the empire that talked about his birthday being the day of Evangelion, the day of the, day of the good tidings. Oh. And so the gospel writers are totally flipping that on its head. and Like, that's not the real king. That's not the good news. That's not the gospel. Jesus is the gospel in his birth. So it's it's kind of a cool uh, root of all this stuff back in Isaiah,
0: which brings us to the psalms. <laughs> Let the Psalm. us sing. So we don't usually talk
1: about the psalms. I just want to say something real quick about the psalms because I was reading up on it today. In the uh, it's Psalm one hundred four, and I was reading this book. It was uh, it's a commentary by an Eastern Orthodox guy, and he began his little commentary on Psalm one hundred four. Saying that in the Eastern tradition of the Orthodox Church, they begin their Vespers, so their evening prayer, with this psalm. Because it talks about all these things. It talks about you made the moon um, to mark the seasons. The sun goes down for its setting. You made the darkness. So it has all this imagery of of night, of darkness. But then he said that in the rule of St. Benedict, here in the Catholic tradition in the West, the rule of St. Benedict always prayed this same psalm first thing in the morning. It was their morning prayer because it talks about the sun rises and the lions gather together. Man goes forth to his work. He labors till evening. And so I was reading that and I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of cool. So this reading, this Psalm kind of encompasses all from morning till evening. And it's, it's a very, it's a, it's a Psalm all about creation. God creates all these things. He created the morning. He creates the night. The heavens, like a tent cloth. Yeah, exactly. And what's Jesus going to be doing in the gospel? Well, he's ushering in the new creation both through his incarnation, but also through his baptism. And it says, you know, we read in the New Testament, whenever we are baptized, we are a new creation. If we're in Christ, you know, there's one translation. I think it's, I think it's a uh, second Corinthians. I think that's where the line is that says anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Yes. Is that second Corinthians? I don't know. and something like that, but I read a translation. I don't, I don't know if I buy this translation of the Greek, but some guy was trying to make the case that in the Greek, you could actually read it. Any, if anyone is in Christ, New creation, just simply comment, and and that you could actually grammatically remove the he is a, so that literally whenever someone is in Christ, the new creation is actually present. Then the new creation meaning everything, that person himself, Mm. but also the whole world around us. New Mm. creation is bursting forth into the world. If you're in Christ, which is just kind of a cool image, because then that's what this psalm is all about. It's all about God creating these things from the beginning and the end. The church prays it. It's, you know, the psalmist literally meditates on the days of creation. And it's, uh, it, it, the last thing I'll say about it, it has this great sense of, of, uh, considering the, the cooperation between the natural order of what God created and the work of man. So God created these things in this order. So then we go forth to do our work in the most unhappy workplace in the country <laughs> in Boulder. But, you know, but yeah. there should be this. And that even that is kind of an interesting thing. I mean, if if Boulder's one of the most unhappy workplaces because we see the created world out there, but we're stuck in here, that's kind of a loss of this. You know, we, we, we're we putting in opposition what God doesn't want to be opposition. He wants his created order to work in conjunction and cooperation with our creativity as well. We should be able to create and do but we do it in the terms of his creation, which is kind of, so that's what the Psalm is all about, which is kind of beautiful because that's what Jesus is going to do in baptism. It's this new creation.
0: And being in the new creation allows your heart to say, all things are from God. Yeah. That's the, that's the cooperation between Mm -hmm. the, the created order and man's work in the created order is that there's nothing out of the sovereignty of God. Yeah. The, and, and that once you enter in, then you have the vision to say that there is nothing separated from meaning. Right. It is all meaningful. Right. The fact that I am in Boulder and I'm sad about being in my workplace is meaningful. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. You know, that it, that's not out of the providence of God because, well, this is what I know as well is that we must be emptied. To be filled
1: with the Lord. That's true. Very true.
0: Which gets us to this wonderful reading of Titus, Timothy, Titus, Timon,
1: Timantus, Titus, Titus.
0: Which is which is actually if you if you look at a Titus two, you're what you're going to discover there is it's part of it is the new translation that we use. In the liturgy itself um, Hmm. that says, um, uh, as we await the blessed hope in the appearance of the glory of our great God, Uh, the blessed hope, that's what we, that's the prayer that the priest prays right after the, the, um, the, our father. Yeah. Is the and and so it's it's this allusion to this whole beautiful world that that um, Paul's giving us when he's speaking to Titus. That's awesome. Which gets us to the heart of the
1: meat. Heart of the meat. The heart of the meat. Is that what you just said?
0: I I did say that. I, I just own it. I have like said it. Yeah, just I, did go it. For I did it. I did it. Yeah. That's the that's the it's the heart, heart, of, of, the heart of the meat. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I,
1: can't, I Can't take it. So Luke is interesting because here's the deal. What and this is this happens so often. And the church puts way too much faith in us. <laughs> Sometimes she should. Because the connection to the Old Testament, to the, to the first reading, is so profound. But it's in a section that we actually don't get in the gospel. So we get, you know, right before the gospel reading that we get, um, you get the section about John the Baptist being the voice in the wilderness, crying out, saying, prepare the Lord. We don't get that in the gospel. It's there, but it's right before the section we read. And then we jump into, so it's like an ongoing storyline. We get pieces of it from Isaiah. We get, you know, the rest of it from the gospel and it kind of goes off. So here's, I mean, so the setup for the gospel in Luke chapter three is here's this guy dressed up as a prophet in the wilderness, yelling out to prepare the way of the Lord. And then it says the people were all filled with expectation. They're asking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ because they all know this is coming. They've already read about this stuff. They know it's here. And so John answers saying, no, I'm, I'm not it. I'm baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. Apparently, loosening the thongs of the sandals is something not even slaves, not even Hebrew slaves were permitted to do because it was so menial. Really?
0: I, I always thought that it was the lowest, like the lowest slave, like basically. The, slaves the...
1: could do it, but Hebrew slaves could not. Oh, So a Hebrew couldn't do it to another Hebrew. I think I think that's the understanding. Yeah, regardless, it's like like, the lowest
0: possible thing that you could do.
1: Yeah,
0: and uh, you know, there's been speculation because of his arrest later from uh, Herod, who his his jurisdiction would have been on the east side of the Jordan, rather than Pontius Pilate jurisdiction on the west side of the Jordan that his ministry would be have, have been functioning on the east side of the river, which oh. because his arrest is oh, from is from, from Herod. Herod. And so what would end up happening is that is is it's a clue that could actually lead us to say what is he doing because you you have a bunch of historical crossings of the Jordan. You have yep. um, Joshua who's going from west to east. No, no. Joshua's going from east, east to, to west. west. Elisha's going from west, west to east, east yeah, that's be- because the, their their prophetic gestures yeah. are, are, you know, they're really concerned about the promised land. And so leaving the promised land across the Jordan and entering the promised land across the Jordan, it, 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 we're just looking for clues and trying but to understand. But where's under- Jesus going? But where's Jesus going?
1: Please. Well, check this out, though. I, so he, he's coming from within the Holy Land regardless. He's coming from Nazareth. Yes. But where does he go right after the baptism?
0: Wilderness. He goes to the
1: 40 days in the wilderness, oh, which yeah. is symbolic of the, the exile. Exodus. Why does he go for 40 days? Exile. Because like the 40 years. So in that sense, I mean, that fits. He's going back out in exile and actually taking on the punishment of that exile, going through the temptations, and he's going to come back. So that actually makes sense. Yeah.
0: That he would leave the borders. And that, then the, that he would return and actually lead people.
1: Yeah, because that's what he does immediately after he's baptized, the first thing he does. So you could make the argument that it's actually a path he's traveling. He goes from home to the Jordan and then further out into the wilderness in exile.
0: And then that would make sense on why the voice would be saying, make straight the paths of the Lord is because yeah. he's going to be returning. He's coming back. He's coming hmm. back.
1: That's cool. Wow. I never thought about that. Hey. You know, I think we're having a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Good. This is also cool because this is one of the... Uh, one of the few places in the Gospels where the entire Trinity is present. Oh. So it says all the people were baptized. Jesus also had been baptized and was praying. And th- there, there's Jesus, and it says the heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So there you have Jesus, the Son. You have the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove descending, and you have the voice of God the Father crying out, Here is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So all three persons of the Trinity are present at that moment which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, what else do we talk about? Yeah. What do we, what do we tell everybody about the rest of this? Well,
1: you know, the other thing is to be pointed that should be pointed out as all commentators point out what's actually being said to Jesus here. When the father's voice comes said, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Do you remember where that where that line God the father's quoting something I was actually
0: book. I was actually trying to find that this morning but I couldn't find it cuz I didn't remember
1: It's actually the it's it's one of the psalms it's the coronation hymn It's Psalm 2 verse 7
0: Actually in Luke what's interesting is what follows this is the genealogy whereas Whereas before, in the other Gospels, they don't find that. So we we actually only get the 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 anointing of the Spirit. He's actually messianic at this moment. It, that's actually how we would say yeah. he's anointed with the Spirit. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that's actually where we get comf- confirmation is also found right here is anointed right. in the Spirit, and then then it's revealed that he's of the divinic line. And that, that this well, royal enthronement.
1: You know, what's even cooler about than that, though. So that's true. So this is the enthronement line. It also, the the other line that says, Behold my servant, with whom I am well pleased. I uh, behold my... Yeah, with you I am well pleased. That actually comes from Isaiah. And this idea about with whom I am well pleased comes from Isaiah 42, which says, Behold my servant, uh, whom I uphold my chosen, whom my soul and my delights, I put my spirit upon him. Which is a reference to this servant in Isaiah, who's going to suffer for the sake of his people. So there's this crazy combination of him being a king and also being the servant from Isaiah, who's going to suffer for his people. And like you said, the next thing that happens is it goes into the, the, uh, the genealogy of Jesus. But the genealogy that shows up in Luke is slightly different than the genealogy that shows in Matthew. So in Matthew, the genealogy is traced back to who, do you know? No, I'm being Socratic again. It's (laughs) traced back to Abraham (laughs) showing that, and remember Matthew was a Jew. Yes, And he's writing to a Jewish audience who would have understood these Old Testament references. So he traces Jesus back to Father Abraham, which is significant. But do you know who who Luke, who is a Gentile, traces Jesus' genealogy to? David? Adam. Adam. All the way. Because he's saying it's not just for the Hebrew people anymore. It's for all of humanity. So this genealogy is slightly different because he takes it way back further. Because it's not just about Abraham and Abraham's promises. It's about God's promises to the whole creation. Because now we have a new creation. So God's going back to the covenant that he made, not with Moses, not with Abraham, not just with David, but the covenant he made with Adam and Eve when he created everything. And he's restoring that, which is way bigger than anybody else dreamed God was actually going to do.
0: Which is why it's in the Jordan, which plunges into the depths, the lowest point on earth. Right. It it goes from the heights, the altum, the, the heights and the depths. Yeah. It, that it goes all the way back And all the way forward That this is the total descent the, the descent of Christ into all
1: things Totally
0: Well, I think that's a pretty good place to end
1: That's a pretty good podcast
0: Yeah, you guys are awesome Thanks for listening Tell your friends Tell your family Tell your, tell your dogs friend, yeah.
1: And you make the sign of peace to each other Yeah No, don't Like guy Like
0: it. Just